Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Want to talk about a new movie? Check. Want to talk about an older movie similar or related to that new movie? Check. That's what you can expect from Quality Check Podcast. It's a new podcast on the Studio DNA Network hosted by yours truly, Drew Douglas and Daniel Posey. Every other Tuesday, we'll talk about a new movie and an old movie to see how the film's quality holds up. me to be happy even if i lose a bet let's say i put a thousand dollars on a game i lose i'm supposed to be happy the world's not happy Corey. all right suck it up there now i'm angry i'd go ahead and just read the letters and remember be happy from south bend indiana it's sports yak this is jimmy shorts and now here's your host let's be happy Corey man how is that? Was that happy enough? Let me do it again. From South Bend, Indiana, it's Sports Yak. This is Jimmy Shorts. Thank you, Studio DNA Podcast Network. And here's your host, Corey Mann, and Indiana Broadcast Hall of Famer, Chuck Freebie. Welcome to Monday, and welcome to episode 84 of the Sports Yak. Oh, you mean the Shannon Sharp episode? Oh, I know him. Yes. Eight-time Pro Bowl tight end, 14 years in the NFL, first tight end ever to go over 10,000 receiving yards. I believe he won three Super Bowl championships. Good player. Well, Hall of Famer, yeah, good player. Doesn't he? He has his own show now, him and one other guy, don't they? He is on with with uh, Skip Bayless, I believe, now. Yeah. How was your weekend, Chuck Freeby? My weekend was all right. Yeah, it was a good weekend. Went to the Blue Gold game Saturday. Yeah. Let's talk Uh, about that. What did you see? Yeah, let's start right there. Well, I saw Notre Dame first-string offense that looked pretty good. I think Ian Book is going to have an outstanding year, 16 of 21, throwing the football for 220 yards. Uh, Chase Claypool caught four of those for 92. Jafar Armstrong had a good time running the football. Thought the first unit looked very good. There is depth at running back. I will say that. I thought uh, Jameer Smith looked like a solid number three running back. There is some depth in the receiving core. There is no depth on the offensive line. Oh, my goodness. The number two offensive line had 
no answers for the number two defense. Now, I'll say this about the number two defense for the Fighting Irish. They've got some depth at the defensive end spots. They've got uh, plenty of pass rushers at the defensive end spots. But my goodness, did that offensive line look terrible on the second unit. And Bill Dracovic, the number two quarterback, had a pretty substandard day himself and then you know, was brought into the interview room. I, I felt so bad for this young man because everybody wants to talk about what he's doing wrong. And it's like, that's just what he wanted to hear after going out. He already knew he had done wrong. He's his own worst critic. And then he comes in and everybody's answer asking these, well, why does it take you so long to get rid of the football? I don't know, sir. Does the team, does the coaching staff play to the crowd on blue and gold games? Absolutely not. No. Actually, they were very conservative in in the attack. And uh, I I only remember one or two deep passes thrown in the game. There were no trick plays shown whatsoever. Um, now, sometimes in these spring games, you see things. Notre Dame didn't do this, but like Rutgers had uh, a couple of young people come out. There, There's... One young man with cerebral palsy, he threw a pass to another young man that's fighting leukemia, and that young man ran 100 yards down the field for a touchdown, and everybody comes in. Uh, So that happens sometimes. At Ohio State, and I tweeted the video of this on the 46 Sports account, uh, the holder, they they had a a student come out to try a field goal to raise money for for whatever. Mm -hmm. And the student happened to be the girlfriend of the holder. So she's going to kick the field goal, and he puts up his hand to stop her, and he pulls out the ring because oh. he's already down on one knee and does his proposal there, which, you know, you better be sure she's going to say yes because <laughs> there's about 60,000 people there in Columbus at the game. Nice big jumbotron focused in. Yeah, so uh, there are sometimes moments like that. There was nothing like that at this year's Blue-Gold game. Probably the biggest ovation went to Rocky Blyer, who got the Moose Krause Award for the courage and bravery that he's shown in his life. Blyer, a former Notre Dame player who then served in the Vietnam War, was wounded in the war, came back, recovered from his wounds, and had a nice NFL career with the Steelers. What's next for the team? Was that the, Is that like the wrap-up of their last practice, or do they still have some left? That's the wrap-up of spring They'll uh, get a little break. They'll continue working in the weight room. A lot of them will do summer school here so that they can work on campus and and continue to try to get better. And then they'll reconvene more than likely on the shores of Lake Max and Cucky and Culver, which has become kind of their tradition, do their first week of fall practice there and get ready for Louisville on Labor Day night. Let's stay with Notre Dame and talk about the passing of John McLeod. Yeah, sad news this morning to wake up and hear. Uh, John had been in some ill health. I think he had some dementia going on as mm. well towards the end. Uh, lived to the age of 81. Uh, terrifically classy man. Came and succeeded Digger Phelps in 1991. Guided Notre Dame basketball from being an independent into the Big East Conference. Wound up being Big East Coach of the Year in 1997. Uh, the two players he's probably most noted for having during his time here. Uh, he Well, let's put it this way. He inherited Elmer Bennett, Damon Sweet, LaFonso Ellis from Digger Phelps. So all those guys, you know, played for John McLeod. And mm-hmm. LaFonso Ellis will tell you John McLeod's a, a great guy. Of course, LaFonso doesn't rip anybody. So, <laughs> But 
LaFonza will tell you, John McLeod's a a brilliant basketball mind. Then uh, Monty Williams came back. He had been diagnosed with this heart arrhythmia, had been kept out. Uh, The doctors said it was okay for him to play, and so he came back and played for John McLeod and became a first-round NBA draft pick. And you may hear his name. I was going to say, did I hear his name this morning? You're hearing his name in in the news a lot right now because he's being considered as the possible successor for the Lakers head coaching job. Wow. That Monty Williams. That former WNDU intern of mine. I I taught him everything he knows. Oh, yeah? Yeah. A man of tremendous faith. Okay. Uh, What he has gone through with his wife's tragic death in an auto accident and raising his family is just phenomenal. And well, then, pause for one second. Would he be a good fit in Los Angeles? Or is that a tough job? It's a tough job, uh, but if anybody could handle it, it would be him. Okay, You're going to have to deal with LeBron, and LeBron can sometimes be a coach killer. But I think Monty Williams is so universally respected in the NBA community, I think he could handle it. Okay. And then the other guy that John McLeod coached was followed by the name of Pat Garrity. Pat Garrity was a three-star recruit out of Monument, Colorado, which if you've never been to Monument, Colorado, you've got a lot of company. And uh, came here 6'9", strong as an ox, and John McLeod really developed Pat Garrity's footwork and made him into a first-round NBA draft pick. And Pat Garrity enjoyed a very nice 10- to 12-year NBA career and I believe is now one of the uh, one of the front office people with the Orlando Magic, but just terrific player. I once asked Bob Knight after a Notre Dame IU game in which Garrity came out of that game looking like he had been through a dicer slicer. He had so many cuts from fingernails coming across him and stuff like that. And I asked Knight how he would evaluate Garrity, but he said he's a she's a stone cold. And he didn't mean that in the negative connotation of the word. He meant that, like, we couldn't guard him. And uh, I, I remember sitting down for a one-on-one with Pat Garrity and sharing that quote with him, and his eyes kind of opened up, and he said, really? He said, that that's pretty cool. Who, did, who recruited Troy Murphy? Murph would have been a John McLeod recruit. He played here McLeod's first two years and then played a, a year with Doherty. And I believe left early after Doherty to go to the NBA where he had an outstanding career. But that there's another John McLeod factor. So there were some good times for John here. I think the transition into the Big East Conference was difficult. I remember one night, John McLeod really believed in man-to-man defense. Hated playing zone. So Georgetown comes in here with a fellow named Allen Iverson. And John McLeod tries to guard him with a guy named Ryan Hoover. And when Allen Iverson walked off the court at the end of the night, and I believe there might have still been five minutes left in the game, Mm -hmm. Allen had totaled 46 points because there was no way that poor Ryan Hoover can guard Allen Iverson. Shoot, there were guys in the NBA that couldn't guard Allen Iverson. But John just steadfastly refused, and, and it wound up kind of being his downfall as a college coach. He just... He had come from the NBA where all they did was play man-to-man. Felt like he could still inject those principles into the college game, and it just didn't work out. He was a lover of music, Chuck. Well, and another one of my favorite McLeod stories. Uh, First of all, you may remember if you're old enough, there was a commercial. They had the big three coaches 
from the big three schools in Indiana. So you had Bob Knight from Indiana, Gene Cady from Purdue. And so Bob Knight would say, I like Coke. And Gene Cady would say something like, I like Diet Coke. And John McLeod would say, I love the lime and taste of Sprite. And that's kind of how John talked. So he comes over when I'm working at WNDU, and we had a radio show called Sports Talk. And he would come in once a year at the beginning of the season. We'd talk about the team. And, of course, Jack Nolan was doing the game, so Jack did most of the conversation. Jeff Jeffers and I would chime in with questions here and there. And John comes up for the first time, and uh, we're kind of just showing him the studios and everything. And he coach in here, this is our AM station that we're going to be on. This is country. And then, uh, and then over here is our FM station, their top 40 station. He goes, you guys play some hauling oats? What year would that have been? Well, 91 was his first year, so. I would have, I would have been there. Yeah. Yeah, because you would have probably done that interview October, November. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I would have been there that night. So he goes, you guys play some, I love me some hauling oats. And now, every time this song comes on the radio, I'm just picturing John McLeod singing along in his car. Oh, look out, boy, she'll chew you up. Mm, she's a man eater. With a big old early 90s afro that he oh, was yeah. rocking. And the suits from Redwood and Ross. <laughs> But just, I will say this about John McLeod, just a classy, classy gentleman. 81 years old, he passes away, so our thoughts are with his wife, Carol, his daughter, Kathleen, his son, Matt, who I got to know a little bit. He played at St. Joe, then walked on at Notre Dame. So, uh, great figure from Notre Dame history. Sports Sports Yak. Part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Find more of your favorite podcasts at Spreaker.com slash Studio DNA. Follow the Yak on Twitter at Sports Yak with two Ks. But the second K is silent. What a compelling Sunday morning and afternoon of television from Augusta National yesterday as Tiger Woods, at the age of 43, he had won his last Masters at the age of 29. Had not won a major, I don't think, since the age of 32. 11 years without a major, 14 years without a Masters title. The previous largest interval was 13 for Gary Player. I think I saw 5,117 days. Yeah. (laughs) So 14 years without a Masters title. But he gets himself into the hunt on Sunday. He's playing in the final group with Tony Finau and then uh, Francesco Molinari from Italy. Molinari puts one, he's got a two-stroke lead as they go to 12, and he puts one in the drink, and I think everybody kind of sits up and says, "Uh uh-oh, it's happening. And this is the way it used to be when Tiger was in a final round. You used to see these people just kind of drop to the side all of a sudden, and here would emerge El Tigre. Well, that's what happened Yesterday, uh, Patrick Chasney grabbed the lead for a hot second. Bogey, bogey. Molinari's back in the hunt. Another double bogey, I believe, on 15. 
And Tiger just keeps hitting shots, and he hits a tee shot on 16 to within two feet, taps in for the birdie, grabs himself a nice two-stroke lead. Brooks Kepka has a makeable birdie putt at 18, <clears throat> doesn't make it. And Tiger winds up kind of putting his tee shot off to the right on 18, but he's okay because he only needs a bogey, and that's what he gets. And he walks off, and... and Credit to CBS, uh, whoever was in the truck, maybe it was Lance Barrow, maybe it was uh, Bob Schickman, whoever it was, had the replay of Earl Woods hugging Tiger for Tiger's first Masters victory at Augusta. Mm-hmm. And they are able to put that back-to-back with Tiger hugging his son Charlie as he comes off the course for this victory in 2019. Two things I want to ask you about. On Twitter, when that was happening, uh, I was I was keeping my eye on it as was I was watching a political. Uh, well, that's your mistake, not a, mine. A big political uh, announcement. There seem to be a lot of people that just don't like Tiger because of his past. Yes. Oh, there are. There are as many. There are Tiger fans who yeah. are just excited to see him play, and there are those who look at the indiscretions that he's had, and the way that he's treated people in the past. They are yeah. not. They are not fans. Sports doesn't allow you to erase the way you acted. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's that was inter- their tone. It's interesting because there are those who love a good redemption story. Yes, and feel that this is a redemption story. On the other hand, I mean, Tiger's been a multimillionaire for a long time. It's not as though he lost it all. Mm-hmm. Even though going through divorces and things like that. He didn't exactly go into poverty here. So, yes, there's redemption from the fact that he had not been competitive for a long time and had to undergo a slew of injuries and had to undergo public shame. But it's never like he was uh, eaten out of dog food dishes or something like that. He He's done okay for himself. The second thing I noticed about that as I went back and watched the highlights of it, and you brought it up on Friday for Sportscasters Camp, is letting the moment air out. Jim Nance gave it two minutes. Two minutes. Jim Nance gave his little return to glory, and then he was quiet for two minutes and let the pictures and the sound do the talking, which is all that moment needs on television. Which is Tiger uh, handshaking and hugging. And the, the gallery the going nuts. And yeah. the chance of Tiger. And all that played through. There's nothing that needs to be added by anybody. There's no, the context had already been given. And especially with a golf tournament, you have had five and a half hours to give context to what is happening here. So by the time the putt drops, there's really not that much more to say. Were you surprised that the local affiliate didn't uh, switch over to the announcement? No, the wrath that they would have felt. Mm-hmm. from the not just the golf community but you're a sports fan you're trying to watch this event to its conclusion and a big part of the masters is the actual awarding of the green jacket yes so no you're not cutting away from that especially when it's tiger woods you can watch it online well there it were was fine there were other options for <laughs> for watching that and yes, I know how it works in the world of news promos. There's going to be 
the news and the news station that I fill in for, WNDU, they're going to trumpet the fact that we were the ones with the live coverage. And yeah, because they cut away from a Penguins game, right? <laughs> Which no one cares yeah. about. NBA playoffs got off to a rough start for our local teams. The Pacers could not do anything offensively. When your leading scorer in an NBA game has 14 points, that's usually not a good sign. Brad Stevens and Boston just stymie Indiana at TD Gardens uh, 84-74 yesterday. So the Celtics up one nothing in that series. Even bigger disappointment was Detroit, which Blake Griffin didn't play because of a knee problem, and it, the rest of the Pistons just seemed to join him. Uh, Milwaukee was up by 30 in that game in the blink of an eye and never really looked back on the way to a 124-85 win over the Pistons, Detroit's second largest playoff deficit ever. Great seeing Bonzi play. He could in that one. <laughs> uh, Pat Connaughton, 10 points and 8 rebounds, and so things... Look pretty good right now for the Milwaukee Bucks, who are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. That's quite a bit different than the story in the National Hockey League right now. The story of the Columbus Blue Jackets right now, who have a 3-0 lead on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa Bay was the best team in the NHL this year by far. I believe the Lightning went won 60 games this season in the NHL, which is really hard to do. And they haven't been able to mount any kind of attack against the Blue Jackets, who have completely shut down the Lightning offense. And Columbus is a win away from not only a series win, but a series sweep over the NHL's best team. And you might say, well, that doesn't happen often. Uh, Blackhawk fans can tell you that this happens Way too often, because it happened to the Hawks about three years ago, and they still haven't recovered from it. Baseball rained out yesterday. Cubs were rained out yesterday. They play in Miami tonight, start another road trip. Uh, they got to try to figure out some things with the middle of their lineup. Their two, three, four hitters, basically Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez, have not been very good this year. Uh, they're getting some nice contribution out of Wilson Contreras, who has five homers so far. The bullpen has improved, even though it was not very good on Saturday. But until the big boys start popping the baseball, they're going to have some trouble. White Sox got a grand slam out of Tim Anderson yesterday. Uh, They wind up taking a couple of games in the series with the Yankees. The Yankees are a battered ball club right now. Nobody feels sorry for them, but they have a ton of injuries. And then the Tigers had a tough series with Minnesota. The Twins are playing good baseball right now, as we thought they would. We we thought that it would be Minnesota and Cleveland duking it out in the AL Central. That will probably be the case. Uh, but that's the baseball story right now. Obviously, it's April. It's early. Cub fans in a bit of a panic, understandably so, just because, you know, un- it, it's a tried-and-true phrase. The games in April do count as much as the games in September do, and you can get yourself out of a pennant race in the month of April. Before we share our favorite songs from 1984, because it is episode 84, we have a special guest today on the Yak. Pleased to be joined by the incoming athletic director at Bethel College and the college's national champion track coach, Tony Natale, on the Yak today. Whenever I say Bethel College right now, people say, there's a basketball coach that has to be hired there. You're in, quite frankly, in the middle of that process right now. 
what are you looking for in a new basketball coach? Well, that's a that's a great question. We're looking for somebody that can come in and just continue the the great tradition that we've had. Uh, just can, can continue to give our student athletes the best possible experience that they can. Uh, looking for somebody who definitely is Christ centered and has the the ability to incorporate their faith into their basketball setting, but also be somebody that's very well connected in the community statewide and frankly in the whole Midwest where they can go out and recruit kids that are great Bethel fit, but also recruit kids that can come in and hear about the Lord and just continue to grow in their faith. Now you talk about recruiting kids. It would appear you have a very good recruiting class still coming in. What has been done? Drew Schaus has the the title of interim coach right now. What is he and his staff doing to try to keep those kids in the fold? Yeah, Drew and uh, Ryan M., have both done a great job of meeting with those kids. Uh, some have come to Bethel. They've met with locally. Some he's, they've gone to their homes and met with them just to continue almost to re-recruit them a second time a little bit and just to make sure they understand that we're going to be in great hands, that everything's going to continue to go well there. Uh, even our current kids on the team, they've done a great job of continuing to work with them, develop their skills, and uh, just to make sure that they're, they're bought into what we're doing moving forward. Of course, a lot of, a lot of what they might decide to do probably hinges on who you decide to hire when do you expect to have a name in mind? Well, we're, we're uh, interviewing this week still. Uh, interviewed a few people net last week. So hopefully with the Easter weekend, we can just uh, kind of evaluate, pray a little bit. And then uh, hopefully by the beginning, middle of next week, we should have somebody in. How many do you expect to interview? We're looking to interview five right now. It's a very tough process to get to five. A uh, lot of really good qualified people. And uh, I, I really believe that the, the people that we're interviewing, uh, we could have any of those people that could be named uh, in that position, and they would do a phenomenal job. How many applicants did you have? Oh, my goodness. I think last time I checked, we were over 125, 150, wow. something like that. So, yeah, we had a lot of people apply. Were there any where you just shook your head and said, oh, this is absolutely ridiculous. Like, did I, st- I didn't accidentally submit my ICCL resume, did I? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. actually, there were some of those. Uh, <laughs> not, not too many, but there were some that you looked at, and, and you, you ask yourself the question, you know, that, that, you know, again, it comes down to what we talked about earlier. I don't think people really quite understand the, the level of uh, play in, in our conference and the National League that we have in our, all of our sports at Bethel. How would you describe that level that Bethel is at? Well, I think that our conference is the best conference in the country in every sport. I mean, we just have phenomenal success nationally with what we do. Uh, I think top to bottom, we have one of the best conferences around. So skill level-wise, I think we're, we're up there. Uh, when you look at coaches in our conference, I think we have a great coaching base in our conference of, of folks that really do a phenomenal job of integrating faith into their athletic abilities, but also have, you know, they're very competitive. So uh, it's, a, it's a challenge to stay competitive in our conference and nationally. We've focused on basketball, but I mentioned you're a national championship track coach. I'm looking across at a ring that looks like it's about a foot wide. <laughs> That's probably a bit of an exaggeration, but it's a big ring. And yet you don't have any kind of track facilities on campus. This has always boggled my mind as to how you succeed in this sport when you don't have facilities. So explain. Well, I, I feel like we, you know, when, when we got there many years ago, um, and we, you know, we just didn't have any of those types of things, which we, at the current time, we still don't. Uh, but it, we have to have something to hang our hat on. And uh, I believe that at the time, the thing that for us to hang our hat on would be the culture of our program and the family atmosphere of our program. So we developed a very different culture of track. Um, track's a very individualized sport in a lot of places collegiately. 
uh, it's just not not really one of those things that's looked upon as uh, the masses. It's more of the, you know if you have two or three great kids, you focus on those kids, and the other kids kind of get left behind. Where, where our uh, focus became a culture of family. Uh, we we were one of the first teams, if not the first team in our conference, to really uh, have a big track team. We're up to about 115 kids right now. 115. Yeah, yeah, we have a big, very big track team. That's wild. Yeah, and and I feel like the culture of the closeness and the family, and just what we've been able to do, just to to have fun, you know. And we we work extremely hard, but we we constantly are preaching about how having fun can be uh, hard work can be fun as well. I mean, you know, it's not a drudgery all the time, and. I think our kids have really bought into that. And I think that's been a key even many 10, 15 years ago when our seniors finally bought into that and realized what we were doing. It just trickled down, and it, we even have it today. Our seniors in today's team kind of teach our freshmen what it's about and, and how, how we do track and how our culture is. And I think that's been the biggest thing for us to be successful. How long did it take to create that culture? Because you can come in with the best of intentions, but implementation is a lot different than plan. Sure. Well, when I first got there, we had a very small team, and, and it wasn't uh, you know, necessarily an overly talented team. So it took a few years to recruit and bring in kids. But I'd say after about three or four years, we had a base put together that we could uh, compete you know, in conference. We had some people going to nationals, doing some good things that way. And then that led just to, to more kids coming in. And then that's when it really took off. I feel like you know, after about the fifth year, it really, really took off with not just numbers, but just with quality as well. And we could really implement some of that culture I'm talking about. Now you don't have 115 scholarships. So uh, no. how, how, how do you, how do you figure that out? Who's going to get what? Yeah, it's that, that's an interesting process. So, um, we have kids from the, the, the whole gamut and, and it's really kind of nice that they, to talk about this because the diversity of our team in every aspect that when you hear that word is, is tremendous. Um, we have kids uh, of a young man, Jordan Downs, who's won a national championship in long jump pole vault, uh, Emma Jankowski from Penders won national championship, you know, so we have some really, really talented kids. And then we have kids that, uh, are walk-ons, you know, that, uh, you know, frankly have either not run a ton in high school or have run at a small level, but they've heard about our program and just want to be a part of it. And, uh, the cool thing about it is our, our all Americans I mentioned to you, they, they treat our walk-ons like they're all Americans. I mean, they, they, as long as we improve, we emphasize improvement. And that's the great thing about track is, um, you know, you can't hide. So if you're running uh, 200 meters, if you ran whatever you ran the week before, you can always work to improve the, the next week. It doesn't matter what that time is. So we talk so much about improvement, and that makes the kids that are on the lower end of the talent pool feel like, you know, they're a huge part of the program. So our continuity and our ability to keep kids and, uh, you know, not have them transfer, not have them leave school, it, it's been a, a huge rate because they all feel important. They all feel included in the program, which they are. You talk about a Christ-centered culture, too. Right. And again, not everybody who comes in, in fact, when you've got 115 people, you have 115 people who ha are at completely different ends of the spectrum in their relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. So how do you bring all that together? Yeah, I, I, and to me, this is a big point because uh, I believe the track program and our athletic department now moving future as, a, as the AD, it, that's our mission field. You know, there's, there's mission folks all over the world and that, that they have different mission fields. But I believe my mission field that God's called me to has been uh, the basketball program that I coached with and then the track program I'm currently coaching with. And um, so, no, we don't have just Christian kids that come into our program. We have a very good core group of kids 
that um, have uh, that understand what Bethel's about. They understand what uh, being a Christ follower is, and, and they're very much bought into that. But then we have another group of kids that are just starting their walk with the Lord. And um, some kids come to Bethel, they know about chapel, but they don't really understand what that's all about yet. So some of the most rewarding things for me are some of those kids that come in um, not understanding very much of that. And then through the course of their four years at Bethel, they leave and they're just they're just transformed. Um, and I could tell stories all day about kids like that. I mean, there, there's so many kids that come well, in. Give me one. One that pops in my mind. So we had a, a thrower a few years ago that graduated from Jimtown. Her name was Cinnamon Green and a uh, very strong athletic girl. She came in and um, her freshman year, um, she was a very, very talented thrower. And she went to Jimtown, small school. So mm-hmm. her mentality was she was the best. And, you know, they, everybody worked around her. So her, her, her freshman year, she came in, and we throw in old Goodman Gym. So we, yeah. so we have to set up mats and everything before we throw. And her mentality was, I don't have to help set those up because I'm the best. And and that changed real real quick. And, you know, there were a lot of issues her freshman year, just attitude-type things. And we talked about, you know, the Lord and, and how that changes your life. And at the end of that year, I met with her specifically. She was an All-American. She did many good things. And I said, you know, if you don't change your attitude and your at your the way you approach track, you, you just won't be around next year. You know, you know, you had a great freshman year, but you just won't be around. And she kind of scoffed at that. And I'll never forget this. I was walking on the river walk with my wife Andrea in the summertime between her freshman and sophomore year. I saw her on the river walk, and she stopped me and she said, "Coach," she said, uh, "I've accepted Christ this summer, and uh, you, I, I will be totally different." And and at first, I was really excited she accepted Christ, but you know how it is. You, you hear the yeah. You know, you kind of a little bit skeptical about the attitude change. But she came in in her last three years. She was phenomenal. She was phenomenal. She she continued to just continue to grow in the Lord. Continue to grow uh, with her attitude and. She was a four-time All-American for us and still holds records for our throws. So, I mean, there's so many so many stories like that. As an athletic director now, how do you incorporate that culture into your entire program? Because now you not only have 115 athletes in your track program, you have, what, 18 different sports? 17 or 18, yeah. I think we have almost 500 athletes right now. So how do you do that? Well, I'm excited about that part. I'm really excited about that part because – I believe it starts with culture again. I, I use that word a lot because I just think that's so important that, that you have a, a culture in your program that uh, has certain expectations. And I feel like the, the key to that is making sure that our student athletes, our coaches, all understand very clearly what the expectations are moving into a year. Um, and then it becomes my job as the athletic director to walk along those coaches and empower them as well as I can. Uh, be their best advocate to the administration and 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 uh, try to help them along the way. But then you have accountability for those expectations. So, you know, I met with all of our student athletes last night and uh, basically tried to set the table a little bit for the fall and just let them know that, that my whole, <laughs> the reason I got into this AD thing is because I want to be able to give them the, the best possible student athlete experience they could possibly have given the situations we're in. You know, some things we can't control, like you mentioned, we don't have a track today. Right. Hopefully we will soon, but it, but we don't. So let's not talk about that, but let's focus in on giving those kids the best experience they can possibly get. Maybe this should have been my first question, but what does an AD at a place like Bethel College do? What What is a typical day? Well, I think that's a that's a very good question because I think that's different for different ADs. You know, my my the way I look at well, the way my days, my job would be is I need to walk very very closely with our coaches. Um, to, to empower them and get them to a situation where they all understand our, our culture in an athletic department and help them to, to be successful at it. You know, that, I think that becomes my number one priority. 
um, I'm kind of shifting a little bit from working with kids every day. I still want to be around those kids and be impactful to them, but I really want to take uh, the coaches under my wing. I've, I've had a lot of experience, and I want to be able to use that experience to help them and just really walk with them every day. So um, my plan is to have a, a very much an open door, and not just an open door, but I want to go into their offices every day. I, I see this as an extremely relational job, not a job where I sit behind a desk and do paperwork. I mean, this seems like a relational opportunity. I can work with them and help them to make their programs the best they can possibly be. Are you at all involved with scheduling, putting officials together? No, they. I mean, like right now, the, the individual sports do their own schedules. Coaches do that. Yep, they do all of that. So, yeah, I mean, there's going to be some of the, the monitoring and some of the administrative things I need to do for sure. But, but frankly, uh, that to me is is less important. I mean, I really want to handle the relational and more than anything else. But you also have to be somewhat of a liaison with the community mm -hmm. as well. If you were putting together a wish list, obviously a track facility is number one. We know that. What would be number two on that wish list for Bethel College? Well, the track facility you mentioned is huge, and we're, we're getting close to that. Uh, I think we're getting really close to that. And then the thing about the track facility I think a lot of people don't understand is the trickle-down effect that that has. Not only does that help naturally the 115 track kids because they have their own, own space and their place where they can go practice, but what that does then is it allows the two gyms that we currently have, Camp Center and Goodman, to be used for the two basketball teams and volleyball and some of the things that they can focus in on. Right now, we're so squeezed for space and practice time that there's a lot of juggling that goes on time-wise for practices. So it, it, it trickles down to them, and then eventually it trickles down into the the, the general student, at, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the non-athlete on our okay. campus because there's no opportunities for them to go work out. Intramurals. Intramurals, right. So it really trickles down and affects every student on campus. So that's a big thing. The second thing would be, yeah, I, I, it comes to my mind, are some of the fields that we have, like our soccer field and our rugby field. Mm -hmm. Some of those things need to continue to improve. Uh, Tiago Pinto's done a phenomenal job with our men's soccer program. We need to continue to make improvements to his soccer field. Want to touch real quickly? We we started with men's basketball. Let's wrap up with women's basketball. You've got a brand new coach. Yeah, uh, Doug Porter uh, hired in not too long ago. Very very excited about him. He he will bring a lot of energy. He will bring a whole new style of basketball to the women's program. I I, I I'm so excited about that because I feel like those girls uh, will have an opportunity to really really enjoy what they're doing and I think the community has a potential to really get around that because the style play that he plays is very 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 up-tempo uh, it's extremely uh, exciting brand of basketball it's it's totally different than a lot of places have and um, he's very much into the system of running and pressing and trapping and shooting threes and it's, it's going to be very high energy so I think when that uh, connects with the, co with the community the college community and then just the, the basic community around us I feel like we'll be able to get great support for our game. Great to have you with us on the app. Thank you very much. Great to be here. From South Bend, Indiana, you know where that's at. I don't. It's Sports Yak with Corey Mann and Chuck Freeby. This is Jimmy Shorts. You're not gone. Sports Yak! All right, Chuck Freeby, the year was 1984. What was happening in your life? 1984, I am a sophomore at the University of Notre Dame. I'm starting to write for the Elkhart Truth. And the summer of 1984, one of the glorious summers that I have enjoyed because it was a summer, the first summer in my life, where the Chicago Cubs were actually really, really good. And I can remember a June sweltering afternoon coming inside, 
Bob Costas and Tony Kubek are the backup announcers. They're doing the NBC Game of the Week, the Cubs and the Cardinals from Wrigley Field. The Cubs get a home run from Ryan Sandberg in the bottom of the ninth to force extra innings. Cardinals get a couple of runs in the top of the 11th. Bruce Suter still out on the mound in the bottom of the 11th. Sandberg comes up again with two out and one on and hits a game-tying home run, and the Cubs go on to win that game in 13, and you kind of think, maybe there's something special about this team, and then the Mets come in for a big series in August, and the Cubs sweep four from them and take over the division and win the division, and in 1984, every time the Chicago Cubs would take the field, they went out to the dulcet tones of Van Halen. I can hear it blasting through your mono television. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Standing ovations at Wrigley Field. Here comes Sandberg and the Cubs. What a great summer that was. And then, of course, the heartbreak in the playoffs. Steve Garvey, I loathe you. Leon Durham, put the glove on for crying out loud. I got to say, this is one of the few times you and I are agreeing. I knew we would. I love this freaking song. Oh. What was the young Corey Mann doing in 84? Freshman at Lakeshore High School. I was going to say, you told me earlier today we have an email. From Stacy. From Stacy. This isn't junk mail. This is actual mail. Entitled Eric Kratz. Yes, who now plays for the Diamondbacks, I believe. Stacy writes, I've listened to all 83 episodes. God bless her. You guys finally mentioned Eric Kratz on episode 83. His Major League Baseball journey and faith story are beyond God amazing. He was on the Sports Spectrum podcast back in March. Recently traded to the Giants. Yes. He's been on with a ton of different teams. So whatever any of this is worth, I just had to share. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Stacy from Napanee. Well, Stacy, you can now mark episode 84 because Eric Kratz had the game-winning hit for the Giants Friday night in their 18-inning win over the Diamondbacks that ended... At 3.45 Eastern Time. (laughs) Wow. Fortunately, I was not up to see it. I saw it on the Sports Center While You Were Sleeping segment. Yes, that was accurate. I think we're done, Chuck Freebie. All right. There's a whole lot of Monday episode here for you. There is. Digest it well. Until next time, sports fans. Eric Kratz, Ooga Luga. This is the Sports Yak Podcast. The following has been brought to you by Rabbit Wigs and the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You've been listening to Sports Yak, all sports information. All that you've just been heard has been copywritten. Don't steal any of this stuff. You've been listening to Sports Yak. This is Jimmy Shorts. Be happy. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.